Hi guys! Hope you're doing well. We're back for another episode of The History Sisters. My name's Katie. I'm Sophie. And we are a sister duo from Germany. In this podcast, we take a look at well-known yet unknown speeches, their presenters, and the historical context. Today, it's my turn to present another historical figure and speech. We are entering in the beginnings of the Elizabethan age. So we're talking about a speech by Elizabeth I, which she gave to troops during the English-Spanish War. You excited? Yes. All right, let's go. Hello guys, it's Katie here for your weekly disclaimer. As always, please remember that everything we say is just our opinion. If we offended you or insulted you, it is really, really not our intention and we are truly sorry. Please tell us either via our Instagram, which is at History Sisters Pod, or our email, which is the History Sisters Pod at gmail.com. Both of this will also be linked in the episode notes. Royalty and constitutional monarchy in Great Britain. In this episode, we get talking a little bit how we don't understand. Keep in mind that regarding this, we don't mean to mock it or somehow talk bad about it. It's just something we simply do not understand. So if you have some information on that or your personal insight, please tell us. We would very much enjoy that. So without further ado now, let's go and listen to the episode. It's a very interesting one, so have fun. Elizabeth I is said to have been a lot more moderate than her predecessors of her family. And one of her mottos, Elizabeth was the Queen of England and Ireland from November 17th of 1558 until her death. She is also sometimes referred to as the Virgin Queen or Gloriana or the Good Queen Bess. All right, we're talking about Queen Elizabeth I. She was born on September 7th, 1533 at Greenwich Palace. Mm -hmm. And she died on March 24th, 1603 at Richmond Palace. Elizabeth I was the last of five monarchs belonging to the House of Tudor. Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn who was Henry's second wife and was executed when Elizabeth was two years and eight months old. Mm-hmm. Um, after the execution, the marriage between her father and her mother was annulled and Elizabeth was declared an illegitimate child and therefore lost her right to the throne. Um, after her father, Henry died her half-brother Edward became king. And when he died, her half-sister Mary was pronounced queen. Um, During Mary's reign, Elizabeth was imprisoned. But when Mary died in 1558, Elizabeth actually succeeded to the throne and she was 25 years old at the time. When Elizabeth came to the throne, the citizens welcomed her wholeheartedly so they were quite excited because they didn't really like Mary. Um, Elizabeth herself depended heavily on a group of trusted advisors during her reign especially when she first entered 
And um, one of her main accomplishments is the establishment of the English Protestant Church, which she became the head of. And the English Protestant Church evolved into the Church of England, which still exists today. During the reign of the monarchs that belonged to the House of Tudor, um, Reformation took place. So England was transformed from a Catholic country into a Protestant country. And that was also an ongoing conflict at the time, not only in England or Great Britain as we know it today, but throughout Europe. Elizabeth I was crowned in January of 1559, so about six months after actually succeeding to the throne. And when she got into power, the entire country was in like a state of anxiety because they perceived a Catholic threat at home, but also in the entire of Europe, like all overseas. Another big thing that happened during Elizabeth's time was the establishment of the East India Company. You've probably heard of that. It was established in 1600 and it was established by Queen Elizabeth for the trade in the India Ocean region and China. And eventually the East India Company controlled half of the world trade and also a substantial territory, especially in India, throughout the entire 18th and 19th centuries. Elizabeth herself is said to have been quite healthy until autumn of 1602. Then she sort of plunged into a severe depression after many of her friends died in a short period of time. And then eventually she died in March of 1603. When she came to the throne, what was expected of like, monarchs at that time that were women was to get married. And rather soon. It wasn't really a question of if she's going to get married, but to whom and when. However, Elizabeth I actually never got married and she also didn't have children. And eventually in her later days, she would always claim that she is married to her kingdom and her subjects and therefore doesn't have room or time to marry a man. So she was quite a strong woman. It struck me was actually video et taceo, which is Latin for I see and keep silent. Regarding religion, she is said to have been relatively tolerant and to have avoided systematic persecution. And in foreign affairs, she was actually quite cautious and more defensive in her actions. Um, however, she is associated with one of the greatest military victories in English history, and that was the victory against the Spanish Armada in 1588. And we're going to talk about that, the Spanish Armada and the English-Spanish War of that time a little later, because that's the context in which the speech was given. In the beginning, Elizabeth was quite criticized for not marrying. But as her time at the throne went on, she actually became quite celebrated for her virginity, um, which had a lot to do with, with Holy Mary and stuff. And it was one of the reasons why a cult of her personality developed even after her death. Another remarkable thing that we know today or um, connect today with the Elizabethan era is the flourishing of English drama. It was also the time when William Shakespeare wrote his works. However, 
Elizabeth herself wasn't really a great influence on that or was really like into arts or anything. It just happened at the same time. And also that there were a lot of seafaring adventures of English salesmen during her time. Um, she was quite popular until the end of her regime when there were a series of economic and military problems which weakened her popularity. Elizabeth I remained on the throne for 44 years, which was, especially compared to her predecessors, quite long and therefore enabled sort of a stability for the country and also a sense of national identity started to develop under her reign. And she also managed to raise England's status abroad, which previously hadn't been that great. And in a whole, you can say that during her time, the entire nation gained like a new self-confidence and also a sense of sovereignty, which they didn't have before. Elizabeth herself is said to have been quite a charismatic performer. So whenever she spoke or wanted to achieve something because of her charisma, she would always like kind of lure people in with her sparkling personality. She spoke a lot of languages, so it said that she actually knew French, Dutch, Italian, Spanish, obviously English, Latin, Greek, Welsh, Cornish, Scottish, and Irish. And during her time, she did not only write poems, but also translated works in Latin and Greek by numerous classical authors. 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 Um, some of those translations still exist today. And she was one of the best educated women of her generation. Um, one thing that is quite well known about her is that there's a lot of portraits that have been painted of her. And she always instructed the artists to make her look much younger than she actually was. And she always looked astonishing but she took a long time to get ready because <clears throat> she actually heavily depended on wigs and cosmetics um, after she had contracted smallpox she was half bald and actually her entire face was covered in scars um, but you don't really see that anywhere because she would always put on so much makeup and another thing is that she was quite a sweet tooth so she loved sweets but she feared dentists so she never really went to see one and that caused her teeth to be really bad and she also lost quite a lot of them <laughs> and there are some reports of like diplomats meeting her and like writing later letters and telling how that she had a really bad breath and that her teeth were like super bad and because she lost some teeth, um, she was actually sometimes hard to understand when she talked. Sort of to close into the actual speech, I want to talk a little bit about the Anglo-Spanish War between 1585 and 1604. It, this war was not like we perceive like one ongoing battle. It was more like an intermittent conflict between the kingdoms of Spain and England. And the war actually was never formally declared. So there's no declaration of war at any given point. And there were sort of like a lot of separated battles, but it wasn't ongoing. So there were times where nothing was happening and then there was a battle and then nothing was happening again. And the main thing that 
is sort of like really important is that the Kingdom of Spain was Catholic and the Kingdom of England was Protestant. So it actually is set to have begun when England went to the Spanish Netherlands in 1585 with their military. Spain held territory in nowadays Netherlands and the people there were Protestants and they started to rebel against the Spanish crown and declared the independence and England started to support them. At the turn of the 17th century, so around 1600, the war was sort of deadlocked and they tried to make peace and um, the war ended with the Treaty of London in 1604. Um, and that was because background, short to the war, um, in the 1560s, Philip II of Spain was faced with increasing disturbances within his kingdom of Protestants versus Catholics. And he did try to suppress the Protestant movement with increasing force. And then this resulted eventually in an open rebellion in 1566. And um, the main conflicts were going on in the Dutch provinces. And in 1585, the Dutch Protestant United Provinces declared their independence and England joined them in order to protect them from the Spanish army. Then on February 8th in 1587, Mary, the Queen of Scots, was executed and she was Catholic. And that outraged Catholics all over Europe, but especially in Spain. And as retaliation, Philip II vowed to invade England and replace Elizabeth I with a Catholic monarch. And that is when the Spanish Armada was sent to England to conquer the land. And that's also in the context where Elizabeth I gave the speech. So the Spanish Armada was starting to go towards England in July of 1588. And it was a great fleet of ships. The plan was for this Armada to pick up more military, more soldiers in the Netherlands, like the part that was still controlled by the Spanish, and then to go to the coast of Southeast England and then to invade and then to overthrow Elizabeth. The battle surrounding the Spanish Armada is the largest engagement of the entire war. Armada is Spanish for army. And today the Spanish Navy is the Armada Espanol. They did not succeed. And the victory was like very useful for the English crown, especially propaganda wise. And it was also seen as a sign that God was not on the side of the Catholics, but of the Protestants. The entire thing was actually authorized by the Pope at the time, who had previously claimed that Elizabeth I was an legitimate monarch because she was no longer Catholic, because back in the time, usually kings were crowned by the Pope. Um, the Spanish Armada contained 130 ships and 18,000 sailors and originally 8,000 soldiers when they set out. And then they um, went to the Netherlands to pick up additional troops, which it was around 30,000 soldiers who waited in the Netherlands which back at the time was a huge army. And then, so from the Netherlands, they sailed through the English Channel and there they were attacked by the English Navy. And it all accumulated sort of in the Battle of 
gravel lines um, where the English Navy actually defeated the Armada. Gravel lines was a part of Flanders in Spanish Netherlands and it was the closest Spanish territory to England. It was actually the English fleet had more ships so it outnumbered the Spanish fleet. However, the Spanish Armada had more guns than the English. After their defeat, want to guess how many ships returned to Spain? 67 ships and of the about 55,000 men that were involved, only less than 10,000 made it back alive to Spain. So it was really a devastating defeat for them. In the following year, however, it was a catastrophic defeat. This whole thing with the Spanish Armada had a really huge impact, especially on naval tactics. They were completely revolutionized. Also, the way in which naval cannons were used. So before this encounter between the Spanish Armada and the English Navy, you usually had to go on board and then fire. But now you could stay on your own ship and fire at the other enemy ships. Previously, the Elizabeth II was like, well, we're so powerful. Now we're going to go and we're going to free Portugal from the Spanish crown and reinstate, you know, a Protestant leader there. So they sent the English Armada out. Spanish nation was actually the one that had the power over the waters. But after the whole incident with the Spanish Armada, naval power shifted in favor of the English. So that's when we, you know, we always have known, or I think most people know like English to be dominant on the waters and, you know, dominating the country and the world and in that time. But before the English was actually the Spanish who did that. Okay. And it was this incident who started to shift these dynamics. Um, obviously it boosted the national pride in England and it also contributed hugely to Elizabeth's legend during two further wars, which one of which we have already talked about a little bit, the Second World War and also the Napoleonic Wars, which we will talk in the future about. Um, this memory of the victory over the Spanish Armada was evoked in order to, you know, tell the soldiers how great they are and what they can do. And um, in 1888, there was a memorial constructed in Plymouth to remember this incident. Back to the entire war thing. Um, so the Spanish are catastrophically defeated. And they go back and they try to refit and retool their navy. And in the following years, um, usually the war was, it was just mainly in the water. Um, but there was not only like the armies were now competing, but also privateering, so private ship owners. And by the end of the war, the English privateering had basically devastated entire, like, almost the entire Spanish private merchants that were dealing on the waters. And by 1597, Spanish or Spain was basically bankrupt and they were also engaged in a war with France. And um, so the Anglo-Dutch coalition had a huge advantage. And then a new king came in, Philip III, and he started to seek peace with England and in 1604, they made peace. So Elizabeth had died and then they made peace. And this peace lasted between England and Spain 
from 1604 till 1625. So, I mean, that's 21 years of peace. I mean, that's better than nothing, right? Yeah, it is. And now to the speech by Elizabeth I at Tilbury. First of all, one should note that Elizabeth I wrote most of her speeches herself, including this one. And there are at least six slightly different versions of the speech. The one that I recorded is the one where most scholars agreed that it is the closest to what ha was actually said by her. So there were 4,000 soldiers assembled at Tilbury in Essex to defend the country. And the person who was leading these troops invited Elizabeth I to come and speak to them. And so she appeared on August 19th, 1588. What they didn't know was that the Spanish Armada, which they were expecting to invade, had actually been defeated two days previously on the waters. But because news traveled so slowly, they were still waiting. And so she came on August 19th, gave this speech. And then two days later, the message reached them and everybody went home. Uh, this speech at Tilbury is one of the most famous speeches by Elizabeth I. And Elizabeth appeared wearing sort of like armor or armorish clothing. And thus she was implying that she was actually ready to fight not only for her people, but also alongside her people in any ensuing battle, which ob obviously she would never have. But that was sort of like the picture she gave. And what was also unusual is that she actually went and walked through the troops and along the troops and sort of went by all the rows and then gave her speech like amidst the troops and only had like six men with her sort of as a bodyguard, which was quite unusual because usually monarchs didn't really do that, especially not if they were women. So yeah, we're basically two days after the Spanish Armada was defeated, but nobody in England knows yet, so they're all expecting these troops to come and invade England and kill lots of people and overturn all the progress that the Protestants have made. And at this point, the monarch, the leader, Elizabeth I, gives this speech. My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. Let tyrants fear. I have always so behaved myself that, under God, I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and good will of my subjects. And therefore, I am come amongst you, as you see, at this time, not for my recreation and the sport, but being resolved, in the midst and heat of the battle, to live and die amongst you all, to lay down for my God and for my kingdom and my people, my honor and my blood, even in the dust. I know I have the body of a weak, feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too, and think full scorn that Parma or Spain, or any prince of Europe, 
should dare to invade the borders of my realm, to which rather than any dishonor shall grow by me, I myself will take up arms, I myself will be your general, judge, and rewarder of every one of your virtues in the field. I know already, for your forwardness you have deserved rewards and crowns. And we do assure you, on a word of a prince, they shall be duly paid. In the meantime, my lieutenant general shall be in my stead, than whom never prince commanded a more noble or worthy subject, not doubting, but by your obedience to my general, by your concord in the camp, and your valor in the field, we shall shortly have a famous victory over these enemies of my God, of my kingdom, and of my people. So what did you think? Um, I was very surprised by how short it was. Um, I was like, when she stopped talking, or when, well, you stopped talking, I was like, um, okay. <laughs> Where's the rest? But I thought that even though it was so short, she had like everything that was important. She said it and she like put it to the point. I don't know how to say it, but like she really well brought all the necessary topics up without like shortening them too much, but still having it so short that the attention span was completely on her. I, I imagine, I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, I don't know. I found it very, very fascinating. And now I understand the speech with your historical context. When I listened to it first, I was like, well, who is she fighting against? What, what, what is going on? <laughs> but now that I know the historical background, I think that she phrased it also very well. Uh -huh. And in a way that I, I think that soldiers would understand it. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I guess struck me the most because um, what I usually do is I usually first like pick out the speech, I read the speech, and then from there I'm like, okay, what do I need to understand or what is referenced so that I can actually understand it. So that's how I usually go about researching for our episodes. It was obvious to me that there was like the struggle of her being a female monarch And she's saying, like, I'm the queen and the king, but I have, like, this weak body of mm -hmm. a woman. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I could, like, and then when you go into the history and you, or I found out that she was never married, it's like, okay, now it also makes sense that she proclaims herself, like, king and queen. And I felt like within the speech you could really almost grab the ambiguity, like the tension she was carrying within her and all the things she had to be at once and that were expected of her. Um, and that on the one hand, that was really hard to carry. And also when you go and see like what a tough childhood she had and how messed up her family was and her family life was. Um, I was just, I think she's really fascinating um, and really just like a super strong woman of history. And thus far, I didn't really know much about her other than her whole thing, like with the makeup and the paintings. 
Yeah. That is what I remembered and that what to me I sort of connect with Elizabeth the first and also obviously like the Elizabethan age I know or era because of studying literature because Shakespeare is so important but not really what was going on at that time not only with like the fight or the war with the Spanish kingdom but also within her own nation with like Catholics against Protestants and just how hard she sort of had to fight to be accepted as a non-married woman. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely thought that her phrase, I'm king and queen, or something like that, I was first like, okay, either she doesn't like her husband very much, or she doesn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it turns out she never had one, and I think that she's very, she's a very empowering figure, especially for for women and just completely denying this having to be married as an actual thing that is going to determine her life yeah and in the end it didn't even turn out to be that big of a problem like once people were like arranged themselves with it they even praised her for that which i think you can really like draw motivation from just do whatever you're thinking about doing, even though people will not like it in the beginning, probably. Once they arrange, once they arrange themselves with that, they're gonna love you no matter what. And if they don't, yeah, get them out of your life. They yeah. don't. You don't need them. And that is something that I think is very, very int- like very interesting. Is first of all in her perspective, in like not her perspective, but in her age and like her time of being but also very empowering and motivational yeah i totally agree with you i like empowering i feel like is a really good word which i actually felt when i researched her i was like you go like you go and just take over the world like i loved it and then to me it's also i mean right now it's queen elizabeth ii to me it's kind of like this whole concept of royalty today and monarchy is quite weird. I don't know how you feel. Same. But um, I don't really get it or understand it or really see the point of it. But I mean, anyway, like Queen Elizabeth II obviously has been in my life, even if it's just been like on the periphery, like really on the margin of it. But She'll come up in the news every now and then. And um, I I don't know much about her, but I perceive her also as being a very resilient woman and also a quite strong public female. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not, like when I read about Elizabeth I, I was like, it's kind of fitting that these two women, like they share the same name. And they both seem to be really present as the female monarch. And I found that also quite interesting, this connection mm-hmm. um, just of the names. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, to me, that was just kind of like a connection I made in my head and sort of compared. And then once again, I was like, yeah, I, I just don't really understand this royalty thing. But then again, I think that just because we grew up in a society where no public royalty or it's not just it's just not important i mean there's still princes and princesses and stuff with their castles but they don't play a big 
road. They all have normal jobs. Yeah. And I think other than in some small parts of Bavaria, nobody really cares anyway. <laughs> so it's not like it is in the UK. Yeah, definitely not, no. I've always looked at that as something very unique and something I kind of enjoyed looking at when I was younger, obviously, because every I feel like every girl went through a phase that they or every boy as well, I don't know. Every human being went through a phase that they wanted to be royalty at some point. I feel like. At least I did. And for that reason I like looked at this royalty, at this like monarchy. It's not really a monarchy, but at at this constitutional monarchy. I don't know. Yeah. Um with like awe and I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. And then I think last year we had that in school in English yeah. lessons and I was kind we were all kind of confused. We were all just like why? What's like, the point? Why is she still there? Like not that I don't like her and I think that she shouldn't be there. It's just yeah. like I don't I don't really get it. If anyone wants to explain it to us, please go ahead. Yeah. Or the, or just why there's like such strong sentiments even today yeah. where you have like the royalists and the non-royalists and like what does what drives this? Why do you fight about it? Or like why why are there so strong opinions about it? Yeah. That's just, to me that's just the thing where I, I just don't understand no, it either. And I don't I don't have any way of accessing it either. Yeah. And sometimes that's really confusing because obviously I mean Britain has been in the news so much with Brexit and everything and they're quite important. But that is just I mean for them it's a huge part of their national identity. But that's one part I just can't grab. Yeah. Can't understand. I can't access it. And I really wish I could, but I just can't. So if anyone wants to explain it or like give us some insight, um, that would be very nice. Um, our you Instagram can. and email is always linked at the beginning and the end. Okay, but apart from this like royalty thing, I just think that uh, Queen Elizabeth I herself was a very inspiring person and empowering person. Um she went through so much resistance in her life like she wasn't even supposed to be a royal because the she was declared kind of Ill, illegal almost legitimate yeah you, she still managed to be on the throne for 44 years yeah. so she did something right in her life and i think that it's very she's very inspiring yeah. and this speech really shows her as a person i think yeah. at least in a, a little bit later in the midst of her um yeah rain yeah. i would say um so yeah i really really enjoy like learning about her as a person yeah. this speech i enjoyed very much and i think that it empo can empower everyone that listens to it and allows it to like sink in yeah so if you listen to it on um, and let it sink in um go ahead and do your project do whatever is on your mind if you're scared about it because of what other people think don't Given that we also just jumped into this podcast, not really caring about what other people will think of it. Uh, yeah, and we have been stumbling through the first episodes, but we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting more professional when it comes to our equipment. We're getting better with the length of our episodes. Yeah, I love researching as well. Yeah, and yeah, it just especially with her, it's like that is so. It just stands out to me that in that time, 
she managed to be in power for 44 years, although there were so many people that were not willing to accept her, like the Pope even said you could overthrow her, which was a big deal at the time. Um, I also find it inspiring that she stuck with her religious faith and didn't just turn around just because there were so many people putting pressure on her. And to me, that's just so inspiring and um, very great. And I mean, she's one of those monarchs that still have a very sort of vivid memory and that are still remembered um, and are still present in the culture. And I think that that's a big achievement, especially um, for a woman of that time. We hope that Elizabeth I and maybe other figures that we talked about already will inspire you or have already inspired you to um, live your life the way you want it because it's no one else's life but yours. So just go do it or care about yourself or care about others or educate yourself or whatever messages we've already drawn in the past. Um, if you want to listen to all of them, go and check all the other episodes out. This episode, it's definitely go live your life the way you want it. Because it's your life and you'd play the main part and no one else does. Yeah. And maybe don't... Like, if you eat a lot of sweets, go to the dentist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be a good idea. <laughs> so with that, I think it's a perfect end to this episode. And we hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, yeah, make sure to check out our Instagram, which is at History Sisters Pod, And tell us, either explain to us the whole royalty monarchy thing... Or just tell us what you liked about this episode or former episodes or what you want to listen or what you want to hear in the third episodes. Um, we also have an email, which is thehistorysisterspod at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you. And we hope that you guys are still safe out there. Yeah, we are excited to dive into our next research yeah, and talk at you in the next episode, which is going to come out two weeks from this one. All right. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep going to the dentist. <laughs> Bye. Bye.